to the Icon Church podcast. Icon Church is one church in five locations. Our vision is human flourishing. We pray that this podcast helps you to flourish in life. For any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. We hope you enjoy this podcast. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ben, married to uh, the lovely Hannah, who was just on stage a second ago. And we lead uh, our youth ministry on Fridays in Chesterfield, which is awesome. Where are you at, Icon Youth? Also, this Friday night, we have the biggest nights we run in youth. We have uh, our next one this Friday night called Youth Revival Nights, which is going to be amazing. So if you're 11 to 18 years old, then make sure you're there. If you You've got kids who are that age or know anybody that age, please invite them because these are huge nights, uh, which are absolutely incredible. But are you ready for the word tonight? Anyone believe God is going to speak to them? It's so important that we approach every single message we hear in any service that we find ourselves in, believing that God might just speak to me tonight because it will totally change your experience. Because when you expect God to speak to you, he will always speak to you, which is awesome. So if you're taking notes tonight, uh, I want to talk on the subject, the language of humility. The language of humility. And what I want to uh, start off with tonight is just a short clip uh, from probably my favourite ever uh, TV show. It's called The Simpsons. It's probably not got that much to do with what I want to talk about tonight, but I'm just throwing it in at the start because if I'm not funny, at least The Simpsons will save me and is a little bit funny. But uh, the, I guess the imagery of what you're about to see does tie in very nicely with what I want to talk about. So watch for that. So actually, this clip's from the, the Simpsons film. So if we could throw it on the screen and just watch it. What are you doing, Bart? Huh? Just passing the time. Oh, my boy loves Alaska so much, he's applauding it. Lisa, why aren't you clapping? Dad! Clap for Alaska. Awesome. (laughs) Love the Simpsons. Uh, Can I ask you a question tonight? Have you ever uh, felt the pressure or felt like you need to outdo another person, like be better than them? Like maybe you've got a sibling or a friend that you're just like in constant competition with, like you have to outdo each other in everything. I had a, a friend when I was younger, uh, like primary school age, his name was Aaron and uh, we'd hang out a lot, go to each other's houses. And I, I, was, I loved Aaron, we like got on really well, but I always felt like I had to outdo him in everything. I felt like I had to be better than him. Now, Aaron was an only child, which meant that he had a lot of cool stuff. And I was one of four children, which meant we had some cool stuff, but I had to share it with everybody. Uh, but, so I'd, I'd get jealous a lot of Aaron because he'd have all this cool stuff. Now, I remember uh, we were probably like the age of 10 and Aaron got this brand new remote control car and it was really cool, looked really cool, was really big and, and fast and stuff. So I was like, ah, I don't have a remote control car. I've got to like outdo Aaron here. I've got to go one up on him. So I was like, Aaron, that, 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 that remote control car is really cool, but I've got something that's even better than that. I have a petrol remote control car. 
I was completely lying when I said this to him. I did not own a petrol remote control car. I'd probably only seen one of these things in my life, but I knew that they were mega cool and way better than just a crummy electric remote control car. So I would, I'd tell Aaron about how good and how great this petrol uh, car, toy car that I had was. And because obviously that's a big thing when you're 10 years old, Aaron used to constantly ask me if I could show him this petrol toy car that I had. Every time he would come round to my house, He'd be like, oh, Ben, get out your petrol remote control car and you, you can show it me and stuff. And because I didn't own one, I'd always have to lie to him every time and come up with like, oh, I left it at my, my grandparents. Oh, it's at the garage being fixed with all the proper cars. <laughs> and, you know, when you start lying about something, you have to like carry on lying. I don't know if you've had to lie about something so much that you, you get to a point where you're like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take this pressure. I've got to do something about this. I've either got to come clean, which wasn't an option for me at this time, or I've got to do something audacious that's going to make him convinced that I have this petrol remote control car. And then he'll never ask me about it again. So I, had, I came up with this idea that the next time Aaron came round uh, my house, I would take him to the shed outside and I would show him my mum and dad's lawnmower and try and convince him that this was the petrol remote control car that I owned. So sure enough, Aaron came around the house and sure enough, Aaron asked me if, if I had the, the petrol toy car that we could play with and stuff. So I, I, I was like, okay, this is my moment. Took him out to the shed in the back garden, opened the shed door. I was like, Aaron, this is the petrol remote control car. And Aaron's like, that's the best petrol remote control car I've ever seen. And then Aaron was like, can we play with it? I was like, no, it doesn't work. Shut the door. And that was that. But I don't know if you've ever had times in your life where you feel like you've got to outdo somebody or be better than somebody or go one up on somebody. And what, why we do that is because it, it comes from pridefulness. It comes from pride that we experience in our lives. And I want us to start tonight by looking at really an ancient story in uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and it comes from Genesis chapter 11, and it is the story of the Tower of Babel. And this story really uh, gives us a, a definition, an image of what it means to be prideful, of what pride looks like. So let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 9, and you can follow it on the screen with me. Listen to what it says. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And listen to this bit, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city. And the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You see, in this story, the people that we read about in the story of the Tower of Babel, they had a language. They had a way of communicating with each other. But unfortunately, the way they communicated with each other was infected 
by this thing called pride. The language that they had with each other, because it says that all the people of the earth at this point in time had one language with each other. And the language they had with each other turned, had turned into pride. Let us make a name for ourselves. That is the kind of language that is the language of pride. It is all about making ourselves famous. It is all about lifting up ourselves. It is all about lifting up our name. But what we, what we see is kind of the, the, what the danger of pride is. And it's not only that when we're prideful, we want to lift up ourselves and lift up our name. But what it means to be prideful is that we want to lift up our name because we believe that the name God has given us isn't enough. We become prideful, which means that we want to lift up our lives above the other people around us because we believe that the name God has given us And when I say the name God has given us, I mean everything that God has gifted us, uh, the way God has made us, who God has made us to be, it is not enough for us. So we feel like we have to lift ourselves up. Is everyone following me with this? That's why it's dangerous because when we become prideful, we start to live a a life that is absent of God because we don't believe that what God has done for us is enough. And what a language of pride looks like is when we talk well of ourselves and not others because we're trying to lift up ourselves over others. And it comes out of this feeling and this belief that who God has made us to be isn't enough for us anymore. See, the truth is that God has intended something else for our lives. Have you ever been convicted of something? When I say when you've been convicted of something, have you ever, like, has someone ever said something to you or maybe you've heard something and it's like, cut you right to the core. Like, for me, this is everything my wife says to me. It just cuts me in half. I mean, not because she's mean, but because she's the wisest person I know. So just everything she says just convicts me. Uh, I, I remember read, one of my heroes in my life is a, a, an author called C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, but he's uh, written many books about faith and about Christianity. And one of the, probably the most prominent of his books about faith is one uh, called Mere Christianity. And uh, he, he spends a whole chapter in this book, and the book's pretty, uh, like the, the content, well, the content's quite deep and stuff, but the, the idea of the book's fairly simple, and it's, it's just talking about Christianity in its essence. And C.S. Lewis spends a whole chapter in this book talking about something called the great sin. And in this chapter called the great sin, he is basically arguing that pride is the great sin. Now, what that doesn't mean is that pride is like the worst of sin. Because, you know, we, we can't think that sin like comes in levels. You know, like killing somebody is a, a really awful sin. But telling my wife that I've hoovered the living room when I haven't is just a, a small sin. We, we can't look at it in terms of levels. We, God sees sin on one equal level, no matter how bad or how even worse that we think it is. So what C.S. Lewis is talking about in this chapter, he, he's not arguing that, Pride is the worst of all sin, but he is trying to argue that pride is the root of all sin. And there's a difference there. And I, I, I would say, reading it, I think I, I agree with what C.S. Lewis is trying, trying to argue. Uh, but there was a, a couple of lines. I remember I first read this book, I was probably about 16 or 17. And when I, was, I read this chapter about pride and I read these few lines of what he says about pride, it convicted me. It like As soon as I read it, it like felt like I was being punched in the face because that often like when we get convicted of something, that's what it can feel like. So I want to just read a few 
uh, words, the same words that convicted me when I was a teenager, just about pride. And I want us to look at, at what it says. So listen to what C.S. Lewis says, talking about pride. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in our lives. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Like I read that and it just totally like, because pride's one of those things that you don't want to admit that you're prideful. But when you hear words like this spoken, you're like, man, I've lived my life with so much pride. Like tonight, I feel like I'm a complete hypocrite talking to you about this subject because I know I've lived so much of my life prideful, speaking this language of pride when actually God has called every single one of us to live a life of humility. God has called every single one of us to speak with this language of humility. I want to just read the next sentence, which just kind of sums up what I want to talk about tonight. He says, the vice I'm talking of is pride or self-conceit and the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. So C.S. Lewis is saying that the opposite to pride is humility. So instead of speaking and living a life of pride, God has called each and every one of us to live a life of humility, to speak with a language of humility. I want to read a a quick verse from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Listen to what this says, speaking about humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You see, what what the story of the Tower of Babel teaches us about pride is that when we live a life full of pride, when we speak with a language of pride, what we are doing is we are building a tower, building a mountain, a platform, a stage, however you want to look at it. We are building this thing so that we can put ourselves on top of it and keep everyone at the bottom. That's what pride looks like. But what humility looks like is instead of building a platform for ourselves, we are instead building a platform for other people. It says in this verse in Philippians, count in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. See what happens when we speak with the language of humility, we are raising others above ourselves. If we live with a life full of pride, when we speak with a language of pride, what we're doing is we are building up a platform for ourselves leaving everyone at the bottom. But the life God has called you and I to live tonight is a life full of humility, to speak with a language of humility which lifts others above ourselves. I want you to write this down. The language of humility is pointed upwards. The language of humility is pointed upwards. Have you ever had had that moment where you feel like somebody is speaking down to you? Maybe they're being really patronising or sarcastic. Maybe it was a boss at work one time, whatever it may be. But it's awful when you go through moments in life where you feel like someone is speaking down to you. Maybe you can think of times in your life. I know there's plenty of times in my life where you know you have spoken down to other people. That's what the language of pride does. Because like I said, it is building up a platform for ourselves and leaving everyone below us. So pride is speaking down to people. But what humility is, it's the opposite of that. The language of humility is pointed upwards because what we are doing is we are creating and building a platform to put others on so that when we speak to people, we are no longer speaking down to them, but we are speaking up to people because we are filling people's lives with hope. We are filling people's lives with potential because the language of humility is pointed upwards. Hey, let's go back to... Genesis 11 
and verse 6. Let's listen to what it says in this story. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. I think God's kind of being a little bit ironic here because God is saying, if humanity speaks one language, there is nothing that will be impossible for them. Imagine tonight if we all spoke the language of humility. Imagine what we could be capable of. How incredible is that? God says if there's one language, there's nothing that can stop humanity. So what if our language was no, more, no longer a language of pride, but was a language of humility, a language of grace, a language that was all about lifting up others above ourselves? If we all collectively spoke that language, there is nothing that would be impossible. There is nothing that could stop our church. There is nothing that could stop what God wants to do in our lives because we have chosen not to speak a language of pride, but to speak a language of humility, choosing to lift others above ourselves. I just want to finish tonight by talking about a few uh, different things. Basically, what, what it means to speak a language of humility. What does a language of humility look like? What does it sound like? So you ready for that? Yeah. Awesome. Why don't you write the first one down? The language of humility is encouragement. The language of humility is encouragement. Do you have maybe that one person in your life who is just really good at encouraging you and making you feel better? For me, that's probably my, my younger sister, Amy. She's very good at encouraging me. Uh, and I, kinda, I, can, I can be quite prideful with this because I'll do something and I'll go straight up to Amy after I've done it because I'll be like fishing for her to compliment me and encourage me. But she is just so amazing. No matter what I do, no matter how bad I am or whatever. She is so good at saying, Ben, I believe in you. Ben, you're amazing. Ben, there's so much ahead in your life. And it's so incredible when we meet people in our lives who speak encouragement. Because our our lead pastor, Paul, would often say that encouragement is injecting people with courage. So when we speak with encouragement, when we choose to encourage one another, what are we doing? We are lifting up others above ourselves. Nobody spoke the language of humility better than Jesus. So I, I want to look just quickly at what, what it was like when Jesus encouraged other people. Uh, and I think the way Jesus encourages may be a little bit different to how uh, a lot of us would choose to encourage. I don't think Jesus would encourage a person by just putting his arm around them and saying, you know, you, you can do this. You know, you've got great things ahead of you. I think uh, Jesus, the way Jesus would encourage, he's one of those people that would like, point at your chest, like touch your chest like that. Like, I don't know about you, but that's quite a sensitive area for me. I don't know why. But like, just turn to the, like, if they're the same gender, if there's someone sat there, you just do that to them. Like really like hard and strong. Feels like, feels like you're being abused, doesn't it? It's crazy. But I think when Jesus encourages, it's a lot more stronger than we would often encourage one another. It is not just an arm around the shoulder. It is, you've got this, Ben. This is in you. You will do this. Let's look at a verse in John chapter 14. Jesus talking to his disciples. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things. Jesus is not saying, see you guys here, my disciples, those who are following me, you might do things that I've done one day. You might do something 
greater than me one day. No, he is saying you will do greater things than I have done. He is speaking it into existence. When we choose to encourage a person, we are not just saying nice words to them. We are speaking into their future. We are speaking it into existence. And when we do that, we lift others up above ourselves. It is the language of humility, encouragement. Awesome. You ready for the next one? Write this one down. The language of humility is mercy. The language of humility is mercy. I want to again, just quickly look at another story of Jesus in John chapter 8. Uh, and it's a famous story, you might have heard of it, of the, the woman who is caught in adultery. If you haven't heard this story, basically, uh, uh, re- the religious leaders and Pharisees find this woman in the act of adultery with a man. They drag her out through the town. She's like probably naked and stuff. It's super embarrassing and humiliating. They drag her to Jesus. And basically because they want Jesus to condemn this woman. But listen to the end of the story and the words that Jesus chooses, the language Jesus chooses to speak with. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. What is this? This is the language of humility. This is mercy. This woman deserves the punishment that the religious leaders are trying to get happen. But Jesus changes things. Jesus doesn't speak with a language of pride anymore, but he chooses to speak with a language of mercy and he extends mercy to this woman. I don't know about you, but I know in my life that I mess up things pretty much every single day. But the Bible says that God's mercies are new every single morning. So I don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow I'm worrying that God's mercy might not be available for me today because the word of God says that his mercies are new every single morning. That means I don't have to worry about a day in the future where I've run out of God's mercy. I don't know about you, uh, when you're driving your car, Hannah gets annoyed at me for this so much, but I, when I drive our car, I don't ever look at the petrol gauge. I think that's just because I'm a very faithful person and just assume it's full all the time. But imagine if, you, imagine if you could drive your car anywhere and you don't have to worry about the petrol gauge because there would always be petrol in there. How amazing would that be? Like we, we all wish that was a reality. But the truth is that that is true for God's mercy. We don't have to live our lives worrying that mercy is going to run out one day because the Bible says that his mercies are new every single morning. That means that God extends mercy and extends mercy. When we don't deserve it anymore, he keeps extending that mercy. Just as Jesus extends mercy to the woman in this story. And we need to live that same way. We need to speak with that same language. See, what we do when we don't speak with mercy, what we do when we live a life where we just don't give people second chances, where we hold grudges, where we choose unforgiveness over forgiveness, what it does is that it robs people, people of their potential. It robs people of their future. But what happens when we have this language of humility, what happens is that we show mercy to one another. And when we show mercy to one another, we are not putting people down, but we are lifting people up above ourselves. It is the language of humility, mercy. Awesome, you ready for the last one? Great. And the whole team can come and join me on stage. Write this one down. The language of humility is kindness. The language of humility is kindness. I want to look at one more story 
of Jesus in Luke chapter 19. And it's about a guy called uh, Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector at the time. And what that basically meant is that everyone hated this guy because he would steal and rob people of their money. And in, in this big crowd of people, Jesus picks out Zacchaeus and speaks to Zacchaeus with kindness. And I want us to watch what happens in this story. I think it's verse five. Listen to what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. You see, the reason why what Jesus says to Zacchaeus in this moment is kindness. The reason why it is humility is because Zacchaeus is in the middle of a crowd of people who, as I said, don't like him. They don't like him. Like imagine Nat sat on the front row here. I just want you to imagine for one moment that all the money you've got in your wallet right now, Nat has it. As you've come in tonight, Nat's been taking the money out of your wallet without you realising. Now, I don't know if you're just very gracious and loving people, but Nat, I'm sorry, but I imagine most people in the room really wouldn't like you. Nat's not done that, I hope. But when we look at this story of Zacchaeus, the same thing's happened. Everyone who is there, pretty much everyone, dislikes Zacchaeus for what he has done to them. But Jesus doesn't choose a language of judgment. He chooses a language of humility. He chooses to speak to Zacchaeus with kindness. Come down, Zacchaeus. I must stay at your house today. Nobody else is inviting Zacchaeus round to their house. But Jesus is choosing to say, I'm going to spend time with you today because I don't speak with the language that these people speak with. I speak with a language of humility. I speak with kindness because people want to put you down, but I want to raise you up above myself. Let's just look at this verse again. Verse five, listen to what it says. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, what direction does the language of humility point to? Upwards. Jesus looked up to Zacchaeus, said, come down, I'm going to spend time with you today because I want to show you what humility means. I want to show you what the kindness of God means. Amen. See, just imagine for a moment if we started speaking with a language of humility that raised other people above ourselves. Imagine if the language of our church and our community was not a language of pride, but was a language of humility that was passionate only about lifting the lives of people so that people can live the lives that God has called them to live. No one spoke the language of humility better than Jesus. And the reason for that is because Jesus is humility. Jesus is humility. He is the definition of what it means to be humble. When we look back at the story of the Tower of Babel that we started with tonight, what were those people thinking about? They were thinking about making a name for ourselves because they weren't happy with the name God gave them. But what happens when we choose to live in humility? What happens when we choose to speak the language of humility? What happens is we raise people above ourselves and in doing that, God raises us up. When we choose to make other people's name famous over our name, God then lifts our name. When we choose to lift up the lives of people above our own lives, then what does God do? He lifts our lives. 
Jesus chose humility. When He took the cross, when He went to the cross, He humbled Himself. And in humbling Himself, God elevated Him. When God went to the cross, He got His name, King Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, He got His name, Saviour of the world. And He only did it because He chose a life of humility. He only achieved it because He chose to speak the language of humility. Church, what if we chose to speak with the language of humility? Imagine how many people we could reach. Imagine how many people would experience the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the encouragement of God. Would you stand with me tonight, church? Because we're going to sing in a moment. What direction does the language of humility point to? Upwards. And we're going to sing a song in a moment that has this incredible line, lift up our eyes and see the King has come. Because what we're doing is we're speaking the language of humility. We are elevating Jesus to his rightful place. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read some probably the best verses in the Bible about the humility of Jesus. And then we're going to sing this song with everything we've got because we have a moment right now to choose the language of humility and lift up Jesus to his rightful place. So you ready, church? Awesome. I'm going to read this, then we're going to sing with everything that we've got. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no other name than the name of Jesus. Come on, let's sing. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Icon Church. If you'd like any more information about Icon Church, log on to our website at www.icon.church. Have the best week.